Good morning. We continue our study of 2 Corinthians this morning. We're, um, we're in, uh, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. We find ourselves within what, what has been called Paul's, Paul's foolish discourse. It's not that he's being foolish specifically, but the, the term is used in sort of an ironic way as, as Paul uh, admits that he is being labeled a fool by his detractors. The whole discourse, if you, if you read it, sort of, sort of seems to put Paul, this, this latter section of 2 Corinthians, specifically this, this chunk that's in chapter 11, Seems to, seems to reflect, Paul, Paul's in a, bit, a little bit of an awkward position because he, he doesn't want to uh, pump himself up and promote himself, but he's up against this, this group of, of apparently a small but, but very visible and very vocal group of, of self-proclaimed super apostles, self-proclaimed super teachers that have, have come in to the church at Corinth, have sort of infiltrated the hearts and minds of some of the, the faithful church there at Corinth, faithful but we've seen in both First and Second Corinthians, uh, somewhat troubled. <laughs> but they're undermining the gospel that, that Paul had paid a quite high price to proclaim to the Corinthian church. They're undermining the gospel, and in so doing, in the process of that, inevitably, they are undermining Paul personally. And so they're, they're causing a great deal of, of confusion and pain in the church. They are, they are leading a church Paul loved astray. And so Paul gets caught up inevitably as he seeks to defend the body of truth that he has taught in Corinth. He has also to defend himself personally. And, and one gets the sense he doesn't enjoy doing that. The ministry of the Apostle Paul was not about the Apostle Paul. The, the ministry of the Apostle Paul was about Jesus. But here, through this discourse, he's, he's having to speak up in his own defense in order to defend the gospel that he has taught. The scale is far different. The significance far less. The dynamic a little bit similar. As I am blessed to stand before you this morning, I have, I and the other members of your teaching team, your preaching team, we have, each of us, devoted decades of our life to the study and teaching of God's word. We have strived together to hold one another accountable to sharpen one another in order that we be trustworthy teachers. 
And so I find myself this morning as one who has long held one of the central passions of my life to be a trustworthy teacher of God's word, having to defend trustworthy teachers of God's word. I say one of the passions of my life because the central passion of my life is to be found faithful when all is said and done. The second passion of my life is to function effectively as husband and father. One week from now, we celebrate 40 years of faithful marriage. Compared to some of you, we're amateurs just getting started. Compared to some of you, we've done and are doing pretty well. But I digress. The church at Corinth was infiltrated by bright, shiny, smooth teachers of horrific error. In 2023, with access to internet, so-called Christian, in many cases, bestsellers, terribly influential media figures who, who would wave the banner of Christ when it suits their self-promoting purposes. one must be aware that the church at McGregor, whom we love, is also vulnerable to infiltration by dangerous teachers promoting bad ideas. So the lead idea this morning, the big idea, if you will, at the top of your notes is this. It is the responsibility of the church. And yes, that includes the elders. Yes, that includes everyone who will open their Bible to teach on this campus at any time. Among this body of Christ at any time. It is the responsibility of the church to guard against false teachers and to encourage and support trustworthy teachers. Let me say right off the bat, I don't know, I cannot know how trustworthy anybody regards me or the rest of our teaching team, but I can speak to this. I don't offer that sentence because we're not feeling encouraged and supported. Let me deal with that right out of the gate. I believe I can speak confidently for our whole teaching team, our elder body, our ministerial staff, and all others who are in positions of leadership in this amazing, loving body of Christ. We've never felt more supported. And we praise God for the privilege of serving here. Keep it up. <laughs> and keep your radar tuned. Let's talk first about the character of trustworthy Jesus. Oh, let me read the passage. We're looking at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 through 21. Paul, going on in this fool's discourse, says, I repeat, 
Let no one think me foolish. He peeks out from behind the curtain of his irony for a moment and says, by the way, don't, don't, don't think for a moment that I'll let you get away with labeling me as foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For gladly you bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. And I'm going to stop in the middle of verse 21. I've told you sometimes the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible leave me a bit puzzled. Verse 21 jumps through the end of one paragraph and the start of another. It's like some editor somewhere thought he was going to get charged by the verse number. Verse 21, latter part, starts the next paragraph. We'll leave that for next week. Roman number one, the character of a trustworthy teacher. The character of trustworthy teachers. There are three character traits that emerge just in verse six. Again, Paul is awkwardly in the position of promoting these character traits which run counter to self-promotion. So it's a... It's a thing to look at. Letter A, first, humility. Humility. Now, I want to be careful because humility often is defined as thinking less of yourself. Sort of, sort of a demeaning posture. That's not biblical humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. Of, of moving yourself out of the center Deliberately, repeatedly, intentionally. I, I love this example. I quote it often in passing. And while I didn't put it in the notes, I do want to take you there deliberately and show you this. Because I quote it so often in passing, I don't want you to lose what I'm trying to say with this. Um, look in your Bible, if you will, on your app or your, your paper Bible, if you got there. Look with me at Luke 7.28. I want to show you an example of what humility looks like. Luke 7, 28. Jesus is speaking and he says this about John the Baptist. Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, by the way, that's pretty much everybody. <laughs> among those born of women, none is greater than John. So in paraphrase, in conclusion, whom did Jesus Christ, certainly excluding himself, but whom did Jesus Christ label as the greatest man ever born of a woman? Who's that? It's John the Baptist. Argue with me all you want, but that's a, you need to argue with Jesus if you're going to disagree. No yeah, you lose those, right? <laughs> now, let's turn the coin over and see what John the Baptist 
whom Jesus called the greatest man who ever lived, what did he have to say about himself? Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3, verse 30. John 3, verse 30. John the Baptist is speaking and he's talking about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus didn't die to make John the Baptist a bigger deal. Jesus didn't live to make John the Baptist a bigger deal. John the Baptist understood that because of Jesus, he, John the Baptist, needed to be a smaller deal. That's humility. When the man whom Jesus called the greatest man that ever lived said, I need to get everything about me out of the way so that the focus is more clearly on Jesus. Notice he didn't say Jesus was wrong. Notice he didn't shuffle his feet and say, oh shucks, I ain't much. He just got out of the way so that Jesus would be the bigger deal. So must we. Humility. Not self-promotion, not self-advancement, not self-elevation. We've seen too much of that in the kingdom. In 1996, a church called Mars Hill Church was founded in the area around Seattle. In the following decade, the church grew to have more than 12,000 people attending at, I believe, more than a dozen campuses. It was a movement. The Mars Hill movement was led by a man named Mark Driscoll. The Mars Hill movement collapsed because Driscoll, in the course of writing books, was found to be using church funds to buy warehouses full of his own book so that his own book would shoot up the bestseller list. That and various other things connected to Driscoll's ego brought that movement to dust. Church no longer exists. Because nobody convinced Driscoll that he didn't need to be a big deal. No Christian leader should be engaged in making himself a big deal. Humility. Make less of yourself. Letter B, wisdom. Possessing a God-centered perspective. Notice Paul says, you, you really can't get away with calling me a fool. Even though I'm using the terminology in this passage, I'm poking fun, I'm being ironic and sarcastic. Let me, let me be clear for just a second. Let no one think me foolish. See, Paul was responsible for systematizing and codifying the Christian faith in a unique role that makes him, I would argue, Christianity's most influential teacher. If you think the Apostle Paul foolish, you're going to lose a whole lot of God's revealed word. Can't do that. The Apostle Paul here is expressing wisdom. He, he knew who he was. He knew the assignment God had given him. And he was willing to step back and view life, circumstances, events, even those who opposed him, from
from a God-ish viewpoint. The word wisdom has lots and lots of definitions. And I will not purport to be anywhere near the last word on what wisdom is. But wisdom is at least this. Seeing my life and circumstances as God sees them. Stepping outside of my fundamentally self-centered perceptions and cultivating the discipline informed by God's word, sensitive to God's spirit, to see my surroundings as God sees them. That's wisdom. That's why the Apostle Paul says, you, you, can't, you can't get away with labeling me foolish. God is using my life and ministry to open up the Gentile world to the advancing gospel of Christ while bringing the Jewish world along as well in ways beyond anyone before or since. Wisdom. And then candor. Candor, telling the truth. The back, very last phrase of, of verse 16, so that I, I too may boast a little. The super apostles and super teachers that were opposing Paul had very impressive resumes with all kinds of, I'm certain, bright, shiny accomplishments and accredited credentials. In the next paragraph of this discourse, Paul's going to roll out his credentials and they're, they're not what you'd expect. It's a pretty, it's a pretty miserable list of anti-accomplishments. We'll see it, I think, next week. But Paul was willing to tell the truth about who he was. I love this in, Rome, in John chapter three. Verse 13, I love this candor in Jesus. John 13 is the, is the beginning of the last night of public, not public, the last night of ministry with Jesus and his, and his disciples, the 12. 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. There are only 21 chapters. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 into 18 tells the story of the last night Jesus spent teaching his disciples. And he led into that night with the most poignant and beautiful leadership lesson ever taught when he washed his disciples' feet. Taking on the task of the lowliest slave in the house. But in the course of doing that, look at what he quietly said in John 13, 13. He said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right. For so I am. There was no false humility in Jesus. There was no awe. Oh, Y'all know about false humility, right? Let me, let, me, let me chase that rabbit for a second. My, my grandmother Stedman, who is long since in heaven, was a, a, an upstate South Carolina, longtime Christian, sort of aristocrat, aristocracy steel magnolia southern Christian lady was my grandmother Stedman a force of nature in her day but she was phenomenal at the art of false humility and the best example that I remember from my childhood is when we would go to my, my Stedman grandparents we'd go there for Thanksgiving 
And, 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 and if we arrived, they lived in Greenville, South Carolina. When we arrived at her house on Thanksgiving Day, when we opened the front door, virtually every horizontal surface in the house had food on it. She had doubtless been cooking for a week. I mean, the, the, the smell of the food that roiled out when you opened the door was like, whoa. And there would be every imaginable variation on every imaginable Thanksgiving-ish food. The turkey, the ham, all the veggies, the desserts. I'm probably diabetic today because of habits that were made around my grandmother Stedman's dessert table. Not blaming you, Mimi, but she's not around to hear me. But as we, would, as we would face this overwhelming feast, and if you grew up around Southern Grand Dame Christian ladies, you're gonna get this vibe. As we would gather around and she would lead with, well, it ain't much. I hope you can find something fit to eat. Some of y'all have heard that vibe before. All right. What is, what, okay. What is false humility after? What are we supposed to say next? And by the way, God help us if we agree with her. You're right, Mimi. It's kind of inadequate. Maybe we can go to Cracker Barrel. Woo, you bring the roof down. When a person is deep into false humility, what are you supposed to do? Overwhelm them with compliments, right? Play into that. It's, false humility is as egotistical as all get out. False humility is the precise opposite of humility. When someone is falsely humble, what you're supposed to do is overwhelm them with further compliments. <laughs> That's pretty harmless if you're a grandmother at Thanksgiving dinner. It's horrifically dangerous if you're a leader of God's people. Romans 12, three. I think it's an important principle regarding this matter of humility. Paul writes, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't waste your time developing high self-esteem such that you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. However, as a growing believer, motivated by faith, you should be growing in your awareness of where you are and are not gifted, where you are and are not capable. I once had a older member of our congregation, and I'm not young, but I had an older member of our congregation say to me, I like it when you talk because I can understand you because you're big and you're loud. I did not respond to that by saying, oh shucks, I have a tiny sheepy little voice. Because among the things God has made me, God has made me capable of loud. I have, a, I have a voice like a semi-functional foghorn. 
I don't have to awe shucks about that. Just see to it that it's kept in the saddle to serve Jesus faithfully, as you must with your gifts and abilities. By the way, Jesus is the example of humility, wisdom, and candor. He told the truth. He saw himself as a piece of his father's greater plan, and he certainly saw the world through his father's eyes. He also is candid enough to tell the truth about you. And his word tells the truth. You and I are lost in our sin. We're not a big deal. We deserve nothing but hell. But Jesus, by his grace, we've mentioned it so many times in this morning's service already, went to the cross to save sinners. And if you will turn from your sin and trust him by faith, not so you can be a bigger deal, but so that you can live forgiven forever in heaven rather than live unforgiven forever in hell as the object of his wrath. Second, the confidence of trustworthy teachers. And my goodness, somebody has messed with the time. <laughs> You're kind, but the trains do keep rolling. The confidence of trustworthy leaders. Paul says in verse 17, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, um, verse 18 actually, I'm, I'm, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. But he's going he's to live a life that is characteristic of a confidence. This is where you can tell the difference between a trustworthy teacher and an untrustworthy one. First, his confidence was in God's will and God's word, not some manufactured, grandiose set of ideas. Not some manufactured vision. Proverbs 29, 18, translated in some older translations where there is no vision, the people perish, doesn't say that. People have taken Proverbs 29, 18, at least in my world, and there's a whole industry created around the importance of visionary leadership and striking out a vision because where there's no vision, the people perish. And so you have egocentric leaders trumping up their own grandiose ideas, labeling it as God's vision, and heading off into the weeds. Be careful. Proverbs 29, 18 is talking about the Bible. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. May our confidence be in God's will, expressed in God's word, not some manufactured vision. Second, in God's word, not opinion or conjecture. I'm going to, tomorrow on, when I record Beyond the Notes, I'm going I'm to talk about sort of a prophetic alarmism. We do pray for Israel, and we are aware and concerned of present events in the Middle East. But the prophetic alarmism industry has been around a long time. And getting believers to conduct themselves as though their hair has caught fire because of events seen through a prophetic lens has been an industry all my adult life. In spite of the fact that scripture commands us multiple times not to be alarmed regarding end time events. Tell people about Jesus, absolutely. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, absolutely. 
I praise God for every encouragement that leads to that. <laughs> it was years ago, but I was, I was a younger man when in 1988, a fellow by the name of Eric, I mean Edgar, Edgar Wisnett wrote a book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. Now, looking back, it was just a blip, but at the time, the book sold more than four and a half million copies. And he was absolutely convinced and made the case that around Rosh Hashanah, around the middle of September 1988, the rapture was absolutely going to occur. Four and a half million books sold, big deal. Christians running around like their hair was on fire, but he did not believe what he wrote. And I know it. I've talked about this briefly Wednesday night. I wrote him a letter in the summer of 88. He certainly published his address because he was using it to raise money. There's a surprise. I wrote him a letter saying, uh, Brother Edgar, you obviously need money to get your message out. Because after all, we're down to the last months now. So I'm going to offer you, and I don't even think I had this much money, but I thought I was safe making the offer. I'm going to offer you $10,000. All I want is the deed to your house, dated January 1, 1989, since you won't be using it anyway. Why in the world would you not take that deal? Well, he didn't. You know why? Because he had not bought what he was selling, right? If he believed what he wrote, he'd taken my money and head for the hills. But he was all wrapped up in his own thing, his own conjecture, and he'd left behind the teaching of God's word. Letter C, God's work, not charismatic salesmanship. This morning, we will gather at McGregor in life groups in here, and we will teach the word of God. I pray in every setting faithfully. We will not draw the biggest crowd this Sunday morning in a church in our country. I don't guess anybody draws bigger crowds these days than smiling Joel Osteen, whose work is an offense to the kingdom of God. He stands as an enemy of the gospel. Do not doubt that. But boo, he's bright and shiny. He's better looking than I am. Oh, come on, at least a small amen. <laughs> Shrieking Stephen Furtick in North Carolina will draw huge crowds this morning. He is an enemy of the gospel. And they, they, they can get into your house via the internet. They can get into your house by the books they write. And the role of your teaching team, the role of your elders to defend you against them is not unlike the role the Apostle Paul had here to defend his beloved church at Corinth against the so-called super apostles. These high profile, high charisma, high bestseller super teachers that are out there making all this noise but whose ministry and message stands counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be warned. In God's wisdom, not popular opinion. Paul said, y'all are so wise, you're putting up with fools. Because in the group think, 
You're falling into foolishness. I'm, I'm glad our congregation is congregationalist. I'm glad that we make decisions together. But I'm also glad that we are led by biblical elders, of which I am only one of more than a dozen, who, by the way, hold me accountable and keep me in check, as they well should. Because groupthink can be a little bit toxic. And finally, the consequences of untrustworthy teachers. Here's what happens when you let untrustworthy teachers gain a foothold. First, you get enslavement to their own ideas. Verse 20, you, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. If you're allowing your worldview, whether that is prophetically, whether that is politically, whether that is anything, if you're allowing your worldview to be crafted and conformed by those who are not centered in the gospel-based truth of God's word, beware, you will be enslaved to bad ideas. Don't let the Mormon Glenn Beck tell you how you ought to feel about what's going on. Mormons are nutty. Be careful. Exploitation for their own gain. Paul says they are devouring you. They're taking advantage of you. This is what happens when some, something, something is going on and I'm where you go, the false teacher. I'm where you go to get the truth. Therefore, subscribe to my stuff. Buy my book. Follow me. Again, the same guy that was raising money, hawking his view that the rapture was certainly going to happen in 1988, wouldn't take my money when I called his bluff. Often, alarmism and hucksterism travel in the same wagon. Support integrity. Support trustworthiness. Support ministries, including this one, that are promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not some celebrity. Which leads to letter C, enlistment in their own egos. <laughs> you tolerate it when people put on airs. That is, conduct themselves as though they're a bigger deal than you are. No one except Jesus is a big deal. The rest of us are in a massive tie for second place. Further, you even let them pop you in the face. They insult you, they, they strike, they put on airs, they strike you in the face. I, I can't strike you in the face unless I outrank you. Striking you in the face, he's not talking about assault, he's talking about insult. You, get away from me. I am a big deal and you are not, is the implication. I once was in a conversation. I've known a lot of church leaders down my 40 years. I was in a conversation with one of them and I had noticed that, that, that this, this, leader's, this leader's picture was everywhere and his name was everywhere and all over the place in things around the church that he, that he was the pastor of. And I asked him, what was the point of all that? And he made the statement to me, you don't understand, Russell. 
I am the brand of this church. That ought to make your blood run cold. Jesus is the brand of his church. The rest of us are bit players. Don't ever let yourself get caught up in a support system for somebody else's ego. I conclude with this. Sincere hope, it's at the bottom of your notes. Our prayer is that we, as a church, might be comprised of weak and small people in the way that Paul is using it here. May we be weak and small people led by weak but trustworthy teachers following a strong and loving Savior. So Jesus is a big deal and nobody else is for the sake of the gospel.